Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast where I bring the best and the brightest from the world of business, entrepreneurship, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity to drive your career forward. I'm excited to welcome my guest today, George Hammer, the chief content officer at a little software computer company called IBM. He is a marketing leader who lives at the intersection of data and creativity, and he is on a mission to unite brands and audiences with content that builds relationship and drives action. And with previous tenure leading teams at Digitas and the Discovery Channel, he brings a wealth of experience and insight into the world of creative brand marketing. And I'm excited to unpack his career journey and a lot more. So let's get to it. George Hammer, welcome to the podcast. Yay. <laughs> you need a clapping sound effect, right? I feel like it was the perfect time, right? Where's the button to hit? Just like... I, I need I need some sound effects in here. I mean, I have all this other cool tech and I, I built out the studio. I got all this stuff too and I need a sound effect board. So... so I, I, as I said on the pre-show, we were talking about, you know, the, the career journey, the early career journey, and I would be remiss. I would not be doing my job as a good podcaster if we did not talk about your time at Second City in Chicago. Yeah. Let's, I mean, were you always just like a, a, a natural performer? Did you always feel like, like a, like the funny bone was inside of you? Let's, let's bring it all the way back. How did, how'd you get involved? Well, I think it goes all the way back to, to fourth or fifth grade when uh, I was a good student, got good grades, but then there was a time when you got made fun of for that. And, uh, <laughs> nerd. and I think being a nerd is cool now, but right. this was before Big Bang Theory. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I was kind of hazed by my, my by fellow students in, in that respect. Um, and so I needed to find a way to connect with people in a different way, um, not through, uh, but so I kind of married that intellectual uh, capability with humor and came up with uh, kind of smart uh, humor and brought that into the classroom. It got me in a lot of trouble. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm with you, Ben. I was a uh, wise ass. Yeah, it was not. My parents didn't love it. But, you know, as a guy and I moved schools three times. And I think that also was uh, uh, critical to my my career, my life, which is just trying to meet new people, connect with people, build relationships. Um, and, and so when I humor, uh, right, relatability through humor. Yeah, it's it, it's a, a way, a way. Um, but I think what is good, why I love Second City, why I love the improv angle it's not just talking at people it's listening accepting what they do give you and then having an impact what you say and i think people in their careers either job interviews or even in uh the creative and content we make it can't be brands and people just talking at people and yeah. so that's why i love improv i think it's probably one of the most uh re relevant uh 
of the skills and the, and the, and the arts uh, when it comes down to like acting or other others, because uh, it has so much, it teaches you agility, it teaches you empathy, and it teaches you how to uh, connect with people. And how to think on your feet pretty damn quick. I've done some improv training with a couple of past roles I have, and it's been some of the best uh, team building and, and and I mean, it's just there's no better team building than than you're putting someone on the spot and you're having to improv and act with them. And thinking on your feet is such a an important skill in business and especially in content creation. Uh, being able to respond quickly to to um, adapt to situations, and I mean that's such a powerful skill. And I think I think that's something that should be brought back more. Do you do any improv training uh, with your teams? Have you done that before in the past? Have you done brought any of those workshopping skills into the team? I did uh, at Digitas. We ran a whole kind of uh, experience for my team, where they actually we, had, we we even brought in instructors to, tr- to train people to uh, those skills. At IBM, we did that as an exercise in our weekly kind of uh, team meetings, as a way to either warm up, connect, or rather making it the whole of the meeting uh, or the get together. We made it as just like a, a part of it. We also worked in um, uh, reflection and uh, uh, meditating. And I have a, I have two people on my team who are trained at, at leading those sessions. And, That's pretty cool. And so I actually find bringing these other aspects have helped creative people, marketers, just people, especially when times like this to to uh, free up their mind and then to kind of explore their their mind and creativity. Yeah, and so those good. two together, meditation and, and and improv, can be powerful. I mean, especially in the creative space, finding the right mindset um, and bringing that into it, but flip it around a little bit, you know, someone who's funny, creative, how'd you land over Deloitte? <laughs> I, try, I was trying to think of a transition there, but yeah, well, no, I remember I didn't, I didn't want to go to college. I wanted to just, uh, either clown, clown college. Does that count? That yeah. Well, that's what my dad said. He was like, I'm not going to pay for you to go be a clown. So you had to take something serious. So I went to business school and, um, came out of business school and I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And I remember Deloitte was interviewing on campus and they would be like, Oh yeah, you could be a consultant. And I was like, well, what's that? And they're like, well, you just, you, you know, you listen, you use frameworks, you apply methodologies and you help solve problems. And I was like, well, I like creative thinking and problem solving. Um, I was like, so they're going to pay me for my opinion. And they're like, they're like, yeah. So they are more here. than that, but it's, that's a gist of consulting. You mean you're going to pay me to travel around, sleep in nice hotels, and give people my opinion on things? Yep. Yeah. No, that Sign first, me up. That first year, I ate a lot of the free cookies they give you when you check in your hotel because like, this is amazing, free cookies. I just kept <laughs> enjoying them. Here's a, here's a fun fact. I don't know if people know about me because you can only see from the waist up here. They don't see the dad bod rocking over here. But mm-hmm. in, all, in all seriousness, I, I, I'm a cookie aficionado. I oh. really, like, I love cookies. Nice. And I like to I like to tell people about the cookies. I like to say what I like about it, what I don't like about it. Just a little fun fact um, over there. But I'm trying to cut down on the cookies. Right. Well, now you know what's going to happen. Every cookie place in the city is going to start mailing you cookies, so you can talk about it. I'm on the podcast. fine with that. I'm fine. One of the one of the cool things about podcasting, I'm getting to a nice level now where I get a lot of free shit, and it's yeah. cool. Yeah. Like a different package show up. Anyway, I, I digress here. Um, so what you know, what's interesting about consulting, you know, uh, is, is that mindset and that process there. You know, how much looking back now, and we're gonna we're not glazing over your career between now and then, but like, how much of that framework structure, the infrastructure, did you learn at Deloitte that you've applied now? There's 
two things that I think I use every day. One is I can get to decisions faster because uh, consulting is a lot of reuse of old PowerPoint decks because use frameworks, right? I know. (laughs) So um, there's a lot of uh, applying what works maybe in one industry and then to another. And that's powerful in creative and marketing. Hey, let's look at what works in uh, the beauty industry and how might that work in tech? And uh, those, those kind of enable you to make decisions quick. That's good for business, but it's also good as a leader because you can draw upon that inf- that those frameworks to make, because people always ask you your opinions or, or point of view on the spot. The other thing is, uh, was incredibly tough for me in my first job at Deloitte, and I had a lot of failures against it, which was trying to, I had, I had basically, I was on eight projects at one time instead of one project, and I had eight different bosses, managers on top of me at any given time. So trying to figure out how to be adaptive and make my style work for eight different people at any given time was really tough. That's interesting. I, I carried that forward today too. That's an interesting perspective there. And and where was it during that tenure at Deloitte where you said, you know what, I, I have this creative soul, I have this creative heart, maybe it was being suppressed during your time at Deloitte where you wanted to push that element to the forefront in your career and what you're doing you know, to get paid for? I always felt, I, I, was, I felt while working as a consultant that there was more than either helping, uh, helping make more money or save money, right? And um, I didn't know it at that time, but I was doing what I guess most brands are doing now is trying to find purpose. Uh, and uh, my purpose was to uh, connect with people. And, uh, and humor was always kind of like it, part of me and my story. And I remember, this is really weird, but there's a bar across from Second City called Wells on Wells. And I was sitting there with four of my colleagues and they, we were having uh, beverages and they were uh, talking about the, uh, the show. Maybe we should go see a show. And one of them said, I don't know, somehow I got into saying that, oh, I think I could do it. And then everyone started like placing bets against it. Uh-oh. Um, and the next day I went in and auditioned and, and got it. I was like, I was just in shock. I did you have to do a stand up or was it just shtick? Was it just, did you have an act? A routine? It was a, it was, they, 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 there's you and you have a resume, which mine was like nothing. <laughs> and boy. you, they, you're, you walk in with like 20 people. You don't know who any of these people are. They split you up in two groups. And then there's a panel of like four judges sitting there and they pick a few people. You go out and they say, okay, who's this person? How do they relate to each other? And they get a couple of questions. They give you feed you information and you say, go. And you just start interacting with people you've never met and have no relationship with and performing. And uh, I don't know. I I must've did okay. Uh, And it was was a good day. The program, which was amazing. That's that's pretty cool. I mean, what was one of those key lessons you learned from 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 that time at Second Son, Second City? You know, I get I I uh, <laughs> my, I use this in work, but also in my my uh, in my, my home. My wife's like, I can't believe you're not embarrassed by that. And I was like, Look, I've been booed at, yelled at, and I've been thrown in my so head. So it's thick yeah. skin. So you really think that that time there really really built that callus, that thick skin around you. I, I think so, because before then, I maybe, because I moved a lot as a kid and it was kind of uh, schools and kind of um, uh, had that kind of almost like a fear of getting made fun of, 
Um, that was uh, something that was really tough for me to step into this world of improv, to fail a lot and actually not care that you do fail. And then also have faith and trust in the people behind you, the cast around you, that one of them is going to shine and, and collectively yeah. will be okay. Such a, such, a, such a powerful lesson. So I want to I fast forward and, and talk about, you know, Apple Batch Media Company. Did, did you have, like, we, I wanna, I'm curious, you know, where it came from. Did you have friends or family that were teachers that expressed, you know, that core pain point, you know, you were trying to solve? Where, where'd that come from? Did it come yeah. out of left field? It, no, it was uh, through trying to solve a problem at, at work that, that people weren't willing to solve. And then I was like, well, fine, then I'm going to go try to do it myself. So I was, I was a consultant and Mayor Bloomberg was my client and he was the mayor of New York and we were trying to help turn around New York City public schools. And what we realized was that teachers were changing jobs every couple of years. Uh, but there was, they, none of them were on LinkedIn. This was still the early age of Facebook and Twitter. Yep. Uh, and so there was no great place to find out about openings, to find out about great talent and help them actually find jobs. It was kind of all through who you knew or unions. So there really wasn't an education job repository. There wasn't, it was all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. So hmm. I met relationships with people in the New York city school department then, and uh, had some friends who were in the tech space. And I was like, uh, I pitched it in a, uh, I was getting my Saturday MBA at university of Chicago and I pitched it as a, a new business venture. And we didn't win the case competition, but we, we did well enough to, to, to make it into a, a real company. And uh, that was it, just launched the company. And that's really what started me down my uh, marketing creative path today because uh, all of a sudden I found myself uh, hiring and staffing designers, writers, social media people. And I invested as much of every dollar of outside investment I got, I put a dollar of my own money in it. So every dollar we spent to acquire a user to the platform, I, I was really invested in making sure it was the best marketing and investment in creative possible. Uh, and, and that was it. It was a lot of trial and error. Digital marketing was so new, trying to figure out. It's a wild west. Hire people. Yeah. It's, it's interesting too. Like you think about like the, the internet 1.0, I think there's always a wild west phase. I think we're always in the wild west with digital marketing. Once you think something is standard and, and kind of common practice, all of a sudden, Clubhouse comes around and now as a content creator, you got to figure out what's our strategy for Clubhouse? What's our approach here? And, and it's always changing. So what happened with Apple Batch? What, what, what direction did it go in? Yeah, we grew to the largest K-12 networking site in the, in the U.S. And the credit crisis hit and it was really tough to raise more capital. And uh, I had an out. I was able to, to sell the, the platform as a, an internal uh, network. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that was good. It was good. I learned what I, what I loved and I learned working with the team and I basically, basically uh, probably was too early as well. Sometimes it's a good idea mm. and, and, and is not the right time. And like MySpace. Yeah. Yeah. Tommy think, was onto something, Tom. Well, Friendster. Remember Friendster? There was a couple of those early ones. I mean, it all started with the AOL chats, right? The AOL chat rooms and then it progressed in the early days. Yeah, come back on that. Yeah, it's crazy, man. So, so then you went back to brand side. I mean, client. Uh, sorry, I keep changing up because I'm a recruiter here. You went to agency side, uh, and brand side over at Discovery, and you know there was lots of properties there. You know, TLC, Animal Planet, and Science Channel. How was? How did you have to? You know, adapt to each one of those properties, the channels, and the audiences. You know, was it was it hard for you to kind of pivot back and forth on a day to day basis, or do you think because of your 
background, your improv, your skill set, and that experience at Deloitte that you were well positioned for this particular role? I uh, first, my kind of style is before I do anything, I try to uh, become well versed in it. So I literally probably the two or three weeks in between job jobs, uh, I watched more content than I ever did in my life, just trying to l watch like shows like Honey Boo Boo uh, on TLC, all the way to like uh, you know the stuff on Animal Planet, Science Channel. I learned about chunk and a lot content. of content to consume. Oh man, and at least a few episodes of everything, just so I I knew what it was, and then try to put myself in the mind of an audience. Um, but also I had, I inherited a really strong team there and I was able to round them out, but I had to trust people because the audiences were so different in across the platforms. I had to build a really highly skilled team and trust and empower them and kind of get out of their way, you know, and not, not try to manage them, but just lead them. And I think that was kind of a change for me because in consulting, you're paid to be the expert in everything. When I was a CMO of a startup, I was paid to run the show. Yeah. Uh, when you're leading a, a diverse network like Discovery, you're really paid to lead. And that was that was a difference. Well, let's talk about that for a moment. You know, what was one of those core, core early mistakes you made as a leader? Maybe it was something that you had in your head of how a leader should act, how a leader should be. And then when you put that into practice, it just didn't work. What'd you learn from that? Oh, God. I could talk, you know, it's... it's uh... Those those lessons are so far back. It's hard. I could tell you some some recent ones uh, that I that I've learned over the last uh, ten years. Um, Please, yeah, I think one as a uh, on the agency side, there was one of the reasons why I went to Discovery from Mindshare, and I got to Mindshare. Almost all my jobs have been through uh, people I either worked with or went to school with. Um, it's, all about who you know. it's all about the network. Talk about yeah. that all the time. Don't burn bridges, stay connected. Yeah. It's amazing. And, and the, I went to Mindshare and I, I liked it, but I was so surprised that the brand spent so much time talking about delivering impressions and not enough time talking about what's in the impression that I, I realized there was a, there was a, a, a kind of a, a shift that needed to happen. Um, and so then I went to discovery because I wanted to focus on the impression market, make, make content, the business and see if, if we can learn from the best. Um, and I'd say like a lot of times it's, it's, is this con as the content industry started blowing up, one of the learnings I think I'm experiencing now, and maybe a lot of brands are as they built mature, more mature content engines is, we have too much content that doesn't actually have the impressions anymore. And, and now there's so much content out there that it's just that, that um, the marketing needs to catch up and it should be called content marketing, not content. And, mm. right? and uh, so I created the mantra at, at IBM to try to reverse that we, we could, because there was this like, um, you know, cultural thing happening. So we, we create, we even created like a, a tagline, make less matter more, which is I like that. Make, Fewer things and, that matter more to your audience. And that's one of the things we're trying to carry forward. It's interesting. And, and then we're going to double back to it a little bit, but I want to talk about your time over at Digitas, fantastic agency there. Uh, you worked on a number of campaigns, but one that really stood out when I was you know, doing my prep here was the Taco Bell blackout campaign when it can yeah. silver, right? I mean, that's, that's badass in a cyber bronze line. Tell us a little bit about what that campaign was for people who are not familiar with it and, and the idea and a little bit of that 
behind the scenes, pull back the curtain kind of magic there. Yeah, Taco Bell, one of the great things about uh, that, that campaign is it was a launch of a new, uh, of, of basically an app and uh, their app for ordering. And it was, a, it was an idea from someone on the team about a year prior, and it took them uh, a year of championing it to get to come to reality. Because imagine Taco Bell, they're one of their most valuable marketing assets is their social following. So rabid what, following, rabid, rabid right, fan base. Yeah. Right. So what did we do? We actually blacked out all their social channels for uh, a period of time so that the only way that people could engage with the, uh, the brand was through the app. So disruptive. And, it was great. I remember that. What, what year was that? That was uh, 14. Must have been 14 years ago now. Um, and, and I can't, it, it was really cool. I mean, imagine being the CEO of this company where a lot of your brand equity is, is uh, it based upon your audience, right? Your, your consumers. And we had to get all the way up to that level buy-in to actually do this. Um, and we actually, we had to work with platforms like Twitter because at the time there was no way to actually zero out your audience and then bring them back. Right. Like, can we just hit an off switch? Like, Hey, Twitter, Hey, Twitter, do we, do we have a, do we, Hey Jack, do we have an off switch over there? Like, yeah. Well, that was one of the cool things about working at Digitas was we had really good relationships with the platforms, Facebook, right. Twitter. Well, yeah, and when we you're spending really, that kind of money on there, I mean, you could, that's all, that's the key. We all yeah. know this. It's all about the ad dollars. That gives right. you the access. The ad dollars well, it's what you do with that. It's the ability to have that first mover advantage, the ability to test something so disruptive like this. Yeah. And that's the effect that you have on the client. I, mean, I always tell people to listen, I love working with small agencies and small brands. But there is a true value to the to the scale and impact that a lot of these bigger brands have that allow them to test things. It's we, a double-edged sword. We always got first look and opportunities from platforms. We had the if we had an idea, I could get the right person on the phone to help make it a reality because they knew we spent a lot of money. But of also that we we had good relationships. It wasn't just money. Money is a way to open the door, but it was yeah. It's also it's also it's also it's also the relationship. So after Digitas, uh, how this, the, the root of the show going back to day one is about talent, recruiting, and understanding the career journey. If you don't mind sharing as much as you feel, how did the opportunity come about at IBM? Did they approach you? Did you approach them? How did this come about? And talk to us a little bit about that courting process as much as you feel comfortable. I think there's to, to, to land a job as a chief content officer at one of the largest global companies in history. Yeah. How the hell does that happen, man? <laughs> luck. Well, the, the title didn't exist. And did you wear that shirt at your interview? That's my big question, George. That's what did it. They're like, this guy is creative. He came to the... I'll have to come back to the interview because it's a crazy story about that. But um, there was a... You know, it, that when I, when I was ready for my next adventure was when at Digitas, we were... The, the team grew, was solidified, and they were winning and doing great work on their own. I had, a, I had a strong number two and three in place. We were self-sufficient and I, and I looked, I got to look, it's like looking at your family, like around the Thanksgiving table. It's like, Oh, look, we're, we're in a great place. Like they're ready to fly. And, and if I stay here much longer, I might just be holding someone back from an opportunity. And so I started listening because I think like all of the, everyone here listening to this, that people get reached out to all the time. Yep. But I often uh, just don't have time to respond to many of them. 
But I started listening and I listened to, uh, I was far down the, you know, in salary negotiations with one of these companies, National Geographic and Amazon. And in both cases, I was, uh, you know, in discussions about joining, helping one launch a, a brand studio, helping another launch, uh, do marketing for, uh, their prime, their, their original content. Mm -hmm. And, uh, my wife rolled out moving to Seattle for one of them. Um, just that it wasn't in the cards. No yeah. pun intended with the art behind you. Yeah. Right. Um, and the other one, uh, I love, I, I, I love the brand and I love what they do. Um, uh, but I also want to go, I also like, you know, feel out the, the, the opportunity and the, the people and the budget. And, and I, I felt like I've been to a media company and, uh, I was really intrigued by using technology in, in different ways. And, um, I got reached out to by, uh, a recruiter who re recommended, uh, one of my friends recommended me, like, I guess he interviewed, uh, for the job and said, this isn't a good fit, but you should talk to George. Um, and, uh, at first I didn't, uh, respond to him either because I said, IBM, I, I haven't really heard of them in the last 20 years. Like, relevant. Yeah. Like what's going no. on there? I mean, um, Watson, Watson helped a lot. Yeah. Watson. I mean, that's stuff. It's good. But I met Watson, um, by the way, that's a story for another time. I met the Watson. Right. But I remember I was at one of my clients was a competitor to IBM. And I remember looking at the, the research and it showed the power of the Watson brand, but also the power of the IBM brand and IBM story. And yep. then I started researching IBM and I was like, OMG, they, they've been doing great stuff. And, it, and, it's, and it's, like, um, it's like the good guy in tech. And I, and I, I felt like technology needed a good guy. Um, and so I said, well, maybe I can go help them become a little more famous and, and, because, and get their word out and be more successful because- Are you calling IBM an underdog? They are. We are. We are. We're we're underdog in the cloud. The cloud wars. Uh, we're an underdog in. Uh, yeah, AWS is a AWS is a beast. Oh my God! It's a great company, and they 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 stumbled into something amazing. So so is 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 Amazon the dark side, or is Apple the dark side? If you're saying that you're the like, I'm trying to figure out in this superhero universe here, and I'm not going to put you on the spot with that. You yeah, have a high well, profile. Who, who, I get it. What good good guys stand for is data privacy. Uh, good good guys stand for putting their clients and audience first, and good guys stand for having a purpose, not just only making a dollar. And you can put those to yourself to figure out who in technology. Oh, we get it. The, the game, but but then um, my audience is savvy. Yeah, but I so I, so finally uh, so then I responded to the, the to the recruiter and had a great discussion. Had another meeting then with the uh, incoming CMO, who um, was Michelle Peluso, and I I flew back. I was on family vacation from Ireland, and I took like the red eye back. I landed at five a.m. My interview was like at nine a.m. and it was I bombed it. That was brutal. <laughs> that is called not setting yourself up for success, George. <laughs> I know, but they were like, "It's the only time we can squeeze you in." I'm like, oh. but did you tell them that? So like they kind of knew that you were exhausted. You just flew you know, across the pond and beat up. And so, but I was also maybe too confident in yeah. my, my ability and uh, I was tired. And then the follow-up, but they called me back and, 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 I, and I met John Awada, uh, who was like 
the, the head of marketing and comms in his office. And I did wear jeans and a button down. And I remember rolling up to headquarters in Armonk, New York. And mm-hmm. I was like, uh-oh, I'm the only one in jeans here. <laughs> but it's a creative role. And yeah. it's still suit and tie. It's still like back, you know, even a few years back, it's still a buttoned up company. At headquarters is still somewhat formal. So um, that's cool though. I had a great chat with him. And then I knew we just connected. And I was like, this is a guy I can get behind. Michelle is a leader who can inspire change. And so if you have a change agent and you have a, a, a creative leader like John, I think together it was a, a perfect time. Let, let, let's pause on this point here because I think it's really important for a lot of people how important the leaders are when deciding to take a job, the people that you interview with, right? There's all those factors in there, the opportunity. And we're not even talking about the pay and the advancement and level and title, but it's when you interviewed with them, you saw their vision. You mm-hmm. saw they had a clear path to define and you saw the opportunity for you to come in and, and lead that charge. And it was a clear, correct me if I'm wrong, it was a clear road ahead. And that was like, this is an opportunity that excites me. I'm aligned with the brand and I'm aligned with the leaders. Yeah, after that, I found myself then trying to sell the recruiter and everyone else that I was the right person for the role. So <laughs> it was a, it was a, uh, I want this. Yeah, but it yeah, was no. good. And we get it. So, so, you, so you land the gig there and now you you built out this powerhouse of content within IBM. Could you explain a little bit about, you know, what content? I mean, I mean, there, there's so many channels here, right? There's so many different verticals, so many different lines of pieces of business. But like explain a little bit about the overall content strategy and approach that you're bringing to the organization. Like did, I assume because I, I could kind of tell what kind of guy you are that you came in and listened and observed first before coming in and just pounding your fist. But once you did take the time. What were you seeing and what was the approach that you put forward? Where did IBM need to be? Where did it need to get to? And, and is, it, is it like, hey, we need to be more like this or like we need to stand out and be different based on our values and who we are in the history and the legacy of this company? Well, I, I learned, I learned uh, from my time at Digitas that uh, while consulting is good about applying frameworks to different clients, um, org, org design is, is not as simple. Um, and... Uh, and so at Digitas, we had to we had to approach and do things different almost every single time, depending upon the CMO, the organizational dynamics. So I spent a lot of time, um, uh, like you said, listening. I flew to all 22 countries. Uh, wow. I got got pneumonia and bronchitis from 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 pushing it so hard. Uh, and you just I wanted those miles, man. Oh, oh yeah, I was I was sweet, uh, like the highest level status too. It was pretty <laughs> awesome. Um, but yeah, it, it, and, and then I hired my team, my first, my first level generals to be out in the, in the business units. Cause IBM is like a conglomerate mm-hmm. like Johnson, Johnson and others. We, we have units. And so for content, we, we put, uh, I put a content leader in each unit. And one of the lessons learned there is that I picked people who I thought were the best at content and great leaders, but I under I un, I wasn't I undervalued actually how much change management had to come in place, and some people who are great at uh, leading creative and content are not great at leading politics. <laughs> I, I have to imagine there has to be a lot of internal politics at a at a, at a conglomerate like IBM, and you have yeah. to balance it too. And and in my experience with working with creatives, it's a tough act for someone who's a purebred creative to also have the skill sets necessary to navigate internal politics yeah, and lead people. It's, it's hard. You know, I spent, I spent a lot of my time 
teaching others on how to be uh, business leaders, marketing leaders, change leaders, uh, because the it's not it, you don't learn it growing up as as a creative person. And uh, I have to try to, you can either buy the business person and try to make them creative or buy the creative person and try to make them more business. And uh, I, I, you know, what, what breaks my heart is that uh, some of the, some, some amazing people who I convinced to come work here couldn't make it through that first wave of the, of the change process. And, um, you know, those, those people came there to partly to work for me. So, uh, Lesson learned, though, is kind of I would evolve my talent strategy first, lean, you know, a little more change management, then a little more uh, kind of creative leadership and then even more so than the marketing leadership. That, that, that's an incredibly important piece right there. So shifting back to the to the creative piece, when it came time to start to uh, lay out the content strategy moving forward, talk to us a little bit about what those pillars and the approach look like. Yeah, well, a content and creative strategy better line up to your brand and your brand strategy. So uh, I'm, I'm not going to get into like our whole brand house, uh, but we have various audiences that we go after. Right. There's B2B, there's B2C, there's B2G, right? Yeah. Well, even more so, I'm talking like audiences as in, in people and profiles. And the avatars, yep. Those people... Uh, what we because we didn't have a, a content group, we, we didn't really have we outsourced almost all of our creativity agencies. Interesting. That. We didn't have a lot of great insights about who they were and how to how to reach and engage them. Um, and so we spent a lot of time building the insights and the framework, um, and we still don't have it nailed today. Um, and because there's so much data that it's just you're just overwhelmed. Um, and then turning, and then we turn, and then we then we spend time looking at the the C, the the C. We, I call it the ABCs of content, right? The audiences, um, what what what's your brand stand for, um, and then what's your uh, where's your competitive white space? And um, the sad thing about the competitive white space, you look in in B two B or or even tech, it's almost all blue, all boring, and all the same, um, and which makes it actually pretty easy to, to stand out if you can convince your, your product marketers and your team and to take risks um, because that's a lot, a large portion about uh, creative ideas is to do something different. What was a, what was an early mistake that you made? Maybe you had a, you had this like, all right, this is going to work. This is an awesome idea. Let's move forward with it at IBM. This is going to be the best thing since sliced bread. And then it failed. Yeah. Was there a particular campaign or project that you worked on? You're like, oh, okay. All right. Well, that, that didn't quite work. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. You tried uh, to rename Watson. I knew it. You tried to rename uh, Watson. Like, we need to call this something else. <laughs> well, yes, I think that there's, there's lot, there's lots. Um, two, two failures uh, initially. One is that um, I was on a, I, I thought that it was kind of archaic that our industry was making all these big PDF white papers. So I created a, a, a kind of like a mission and I of, uh, uh, kill the white paper it was kind of like the chant, right? Kill the white paper, create something that people want to engage with, not something that traps them to download. Hmm. And uh, what I realized as people, uh, when you look at the data three months later, they were still cranking out white papers, is that we needed to, to, to first pilot, test and show people what an alternative looks like. 
Um, and so we did that. So I created a mini kind of incubator for innovation to develop those things, put them out there, get data, and then show that to release that with point of views. Um, and that was a that was a learning that people um, at, at big companies like IBM they don't have to listen to you. You could say no. don't do white papers, and you could look at the data three months later, and they'll keep doing the white papers. You need to lead, inspire, and give some facts and evidence. Um, I love it. Right That's tremendous. I want to talk a little bit about how how I mean, you've been in the agency game a long time. You've seen a lot of it. Um, I went back to an interview you did with Alan Hart from Marketing Today back in 2018, uh, where you addressed a changing agency model. And now, you know, three years later, how do you think, you know, since that interview and what you said there, how do you think agencies have adopted to, to the new way of doing business? And, and how have you taken a lot of that insight into building out an in-house team? I mean, you're standing up an in-house team at IBM. I mean, yeah. so much change. I mean, putting the pandemic aside, we're talking about the agency model. Yeah. You know, and, and I go back to thinking about like uh, an agency like Vayner, like coming in there and like disrupting it, being a social first, moving quickly. What are some of those things that you've taken and, and observed since then? Yeah. Well, to, to be clear, I don't just lead uh, an in-house agency team. I think that's a mistake. When brands decide they're going to do content or creative, they go take an outside agency model, they just pluck it and put it right into a, a, a brand. I started, started the opposite way. First, I built the, the expertise in the marketing teams and the campaign teams and and those are built within the business units and then we said what is the right infrastructure to support them is it an in-house agency is it uh, just a production shop is it a uh, external agency model and uh, we have I, I, at first I was like we need better options so we did RFPs and we expanded our agency and production roster to enable uh, more options and more competition. And what I've learned is that it's not possible for enough of those partners to really get to know us and work with mm. us to be successful. And competition is good, if, but our only goal, our goal isn't just to drive down rates and save no, money. The quality of the work. It's to make great stuff. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's about the, the great work. And if you tighten up that roster, you're strengthening relationships. I say it all the time with my recruiting business too. Why work with four different recruiting agencies when you can work with one who really understands your brand and gets it? Like it's a yes. it's a, it's a no brainer there. Yes. So that's Re what we're moving to now. Now we now we've shrunk the the list back down, and we're working with fewer people. And again, it's, it's relationships. And and I they they've adjusted their models, so we don't need to actually put the pressure on the external market because there's enough pressure on them already. Like yeah. let's let them be. Let's let them survive. Let's help them survive thrive by working together in, in a model. It's, and and that's what we're doing now. Yeah, I love it. It's fantastic. And as you're as you're talking about your career and all these roles, I'm I'm it's really resonating how people you don't know back then. You don't know when you were when you were at Second City, you didn't know when you were at Deloitte, you didn't know when you were at, at, at you know Discovery. Every step in your journey has led you to be exactly where you need to be right now. You have had all those skill sets. Like think about all those lessons you were talking about earlier from Deloitte like that consulting mindset that you're applying now, the org change, understanding, you know, the organizational dynamic and then pairing that with your creative expertise. It's awesome. It's really freaking awesome. And I don't have to tell you this. You look in the mirror and you know this, that you're you're meant to be where you are now. And I love it. Um, before we get into the what I like to call the the personal side of the podcast, um, I want to wrap it up and talk a little bit about the pandemic. You were you were kind of alluding to it earlier before we hit record on the proper show. But talk to a little bit about how you have had to adapt and manage your team and and the creative work that you're doing in the last you know 18 months yeah well i think what we did as leaders when it first hit 
we, uh, we wanted to find ways to still engage with our teams and people. So I remember getting in the room with all the CMOs. So like myself and the head of performance and all the CMOs are part of this like executive cabinet. Right. And we develop policy and procedures and stuff for IBM. And, uh, and we're like, well, we gotta, we gotta, let's create a, uh, let's create a Friday morning workout. We're all together. Let's create happy hours every Thursday. We started trying to create these things to fill people's time. And uh, then we realized actually that's the wrong thing to do. We need to give people their time back. And I don't want to spend time with people at work. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but we have, we have, no, a, you have to, yeah, we have a good family like culture. And how do you maintain that whenever you're not, you don't get to see them anymore. Um, and so what we, uh, so we kind of stripped that back and we just recently instituted uh, no meetings on Wednesday, Friday, uh, think Fridays, which is Friday from 1 PM on, you're supposed to be uh, not working. You're supposed to be learning and, and engaging. Um, so trying to give people time back to work and to think that's smart no, and I... that that's, that's big. And then also just to, to how to, how to manage a workforce that is digital, all the leaders in every company and in every industry is going through this right now. Yeah. I'm lucky where my team of, of there's about 700 I... people who are part of my, uh, influence around the world. There, I've for the last five years have had to engage with them like this. So I've been learning on how to lead a digital workforce. But it is a it's a different skill set for some of the people who had their little four person team sitting next to them down the in New York in New York. You know? How do you, how do you keep your finger on the pulse of the mental well being of individuals and the group as a whole? I mean, you are responsible for that. The vibe, the energy, making sure that people are doing okay, especially in these freaking crazy ass times. Yeah, it's the it's the hardest thing. I'm a person who can uh, who likes to be in a room, sends the energy from a room, and can read people that way. Yeah. People are a lot easier to mask things over the, the little box here. Yeah, uh, totally. I would say almost all of our meetings start five minutes later than they used to because the beginning is all, almost is always a connect portion of the show. Right? There's What's the happening? Connect. What are you guys doing? How's everything going? Tell me what you're up to. See your yeah. kid and your cat and your things going on around your house. Like, yeah. I think it's kind of cool. Actually, I think actually the, the, the pandemic and like, we all talk about zoom fatigue and all that kind of shit too. But I think a lot of people would rather have zoom fatigue than sitting in two hours commuting every day. Right. But, but the, but the zoom, I think early on, it really kind of, Hey, I didn't know you were into painting and you had that behind you and Hey, your kitchen's pretty cool. You have a nice food process there. Are you into cooking? Oh, I didn't know you were like, there was a lot of that. Yes. That inside look into people, and some people were not comfortable with it, right? And some people were like, hey, I don't mind sharing this. Well, we're going to be, we've already announced, we're going to be a hybrid workforce in the future. And there are, there are times it, you need to come together. I still think the energy in the room builds during ideation and other 100%. things you have to have. Some business, especially in the creative world, I talk about it all the time, you need to be physically together. There's a, a palatable energy that no one understands unless you're in this space. In yep. any type of music, art, anything, creative thinking, creative thinking. Yep. People get yep. distracted. People get distracted remotely. Yep. Yep. From a collaboration watched, standpoint. Yeah. I mean, I just watched like a, the Taylor Swift documentary and she was building music collabs with other artists in person because she couldn't, she can't do that over a WebEx, right? You can't, you can't build a hit song together via like this. You need, you just riff off each other and it kind of just Doesn't grows. Work. It, it doesn't work at all. So speaking of creativity, I want to bring it home here. You and I have a mutual love of Legos. I've been 
playing with Lego since I, I, I can't even imagine how young I was. And I, I'm, I'll admit it. I played with my Lego till I was about 17. It was my escape. Even, even in high school, I always connected when I needed time to myself. I always went back to my Legos. I had a big, big like area in my house. I kept, I had a huge spread of Legos. I loved them. And there's nothing better for me now than playing Legos with my kids. And yeah. I have my old Legos too. I have all my old Legos. And this is the hardest thing for me. Uh, I busted out a lot of my old Legos with my little guy. My, my girl, who's nine now, she was great with them. She was careful. My, my three-year-old is a monster. He literally crushed them. And it crushed my heart to watch him crush some of my old sets that I had. And it took me a while to be like, these are yours. You do what you, you, do what you want for them. Talk to me a little bit about what Legos mean to you and your love of them. It, 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 so I, I had Lego sets, but I was really bad at, bad at directions. So I just would build things and I had more fun with them while my brother would then go take them apart and build them back the way they, they had to be. Right. Right? The way the instructions. Right. But I just love, uh, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a leader and I like to build things. And I also love to work with your hands, right? There's something, my last name's Hammer. And I feel like back Tactical. in the day, I was like a, like a, uh, like I worked in a metal shop. My, my Probably where the name came from if I had to go out on a limb here. I'm thinking, right? So there's something about just work with your hands and, I thinking and work your hands, but you know, you're, this is a podcast also about careers and, and you know, you should do what you love. And uh, I don't work at Lego. So I build Lego stuff while at work and I built it as, as sets. I build it with, with family and I build Look stuff. Look at that. You see that? Yeah. There's my, there's my space station and on the floor, you can't see it over there. I bought the giant, you see it, the giant spaceship, which I'm going to build next. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Awesome. That's, That's awesome. what I do when I when I have like a half hour here, and and, and I and I ch- I tell everybody, you need to have that. Do you still you still play with Legos? You do it with your kids? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I got um. We have so many. We have so many. It's it's kind of a hazard because you just oh. always step on something. God, the, the pain, the pain of. I even got Lego sneakers now. I think I should do that too. So let's let's bring it home here. You know, I I, I love talking to folks like yourself incredibly impressive career and congratulations on on all your success and uh you know there's the question is always like what's next like where do you where do you even go from here you know what and the world is your oyster man um george what is the single greatest piece of advice you've ever received that you take action on every single day of your life have fun (laughs) i don't know i mean there's there's a there, there is. I mean, like, I, I remember I was watching uh, this week. Uh, we have our big event, think, and Malcolm Gladwell was on it. And he was talking about uh, as part of his business and his team, he doesn't want to do it if he doesn't have fun. And uh, Adam Grant was on there too and almost laughed. I saw said, that, yeah. Yeah, you'll never be a CEO if you're, uh, that's your key thing. But um, I really came to IBM because I believe we can make a great place for creative people to work where they have fun and they and working with people they like and do good stuff. And that's why it's hard where sometimes we succeed in that mission. Sometimes we don't as we go through this change from B to B to brands for humans and all this bringing humanity into the business world. But I, I, li- I, I seriously always try to find the thing when you're building ideas or, or working with people where it sparks that energy and that fun, because you're going to be more invested in making it and doing it. And um, you're going to have a better time doing it too. So I always say when you're torn between two things, always pick the one that you're going to have the more fun in doing. Oh, it's good advice. Keep it simple. Which one's good? You only have one life. You only have one shot at this. You might, you might as well enjoy it. And, and George, last but not least, 
you know, you, you look back on your career and you look back at those times when maybe you were struggling, maybe you're trying to figure things out. Maybe you weren't happy and you had to dig down deep inside and, and really harness that inner tenacity to drive yourself forward and drive your career and life forward. And you look back on it now, even during the pandemic, all the silver linings built out this great team, this great career, beautiful family. And you want to show gratitude. What keeps you focused? What keeps you moving? George Hammer, what is your North Star? What keeps me focused is, is people. Um, I, I want people a, around me to be successful. And uh, my North Star is to, is to uh, build brands that people love and make a lot of money. Um, cause if you only okay. do build brands that people love, then it's a failed business model. Uh, and if you make only make a lot of money, then it's then, and I believe there is a world where we can have purpose built brands that people like working at and people love to engage with that also do really well on wall street. I love it, man. George, thank you. Thank you for spending time with us this afternoon and sharing so much. Really do appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. We ain't done yet, man. <laughs> George, where, where can folks find you? Where could they connect with you? Where could they learn more? Oh, yes. Uh, well, if anyone has any questions about uh, how to build a great brand team or studio, uh, LinkedIn is a place where I, I, I live. Um, so just search for my, my name on LinkedIn. Um, IBMoriginals.com is the website for my team at IBM. Uh, if you want to learn more about what the team does. Um, and overall, just always around to help. Cool. George, hang with me for one moment here while we mm -hmm. sign off of the show here. And everyone listening at home, I really hope you enjoyed this conversation. It was freaking awesome. I love it. Everyone listening to us live on the podcast live. Hope you enjoyed this experience as well. You know where to find more at thepodcast.com. Remember, guys, we're, we're coming to the end of this pandemic, but still, you know, be careful out there. Look out for each other. Put other people first. Wash your hands. You don't even have to say six feet apart. I heard some new CDC stuff. But anyway, take care of each other. You know where to find this podcast.com. If you like this episode, please leave a review, a rating, share it. It goes a long way. Thank you for joining us and catch us next week on another great episode of the podcast. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon. Jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The Pausecast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.